34 through 30, as well as 36 through 43. Matthew 13. As always, this is God's good and holy word. It stands over all of us in this room. Um, it has authority over you. It has authority over me. And therefore, we should give our attention to it. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. If you skip down to verse 36, uh, Jesus explains this parable. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let me pray for us and pray for our time this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge um, that apart from you, apart from your spirit, uh, we can do nothing. Uh, We won't even understand these words. Uh, We will take them lightly. We will not believe these words unless you, O God, are working in our hearts. And so, Father, our prayer uh, this morning is that you would speak to us, that you would be our teacher, that you would use even me, a sinner, to proclaim the excellencies of your kingdom, that you, by your spirit, would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? And would you work in our hearts, Lord? that you may turn our hearts back to you. I pray for myself, Lord, that I will believe this word that I preach. I pray for your people this morning, um, that they would believe your word. 
And Father, I ask that you would continue to work mightily in us and show us again the glory of your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, About a month ago, well, let's see, not a month, a year. Uh, about a year ago, sorry, I had, I have, I have, I have a new baby, so time, I, time, I just get lost with time. But um, about a year ago, um, Brad Tubasing, who's the former RUF campus minister at UAH, uh, was telling me about a trip he had taken to the South Louisiana uh, Gulf Coast area, uh, Mississippi, kind of, you know, Southern Mississippi, Southern Louisiana, the Gulf Coast area, and he was talking about how he and his wife and their kids were on this beach. And he had this opportunity to talk to some students who, who looked kind of college age. They looked like his students at UAH. And they happened to be from that area. And one of the things that he said in going and talking to these girls was that he walked up to them and he was just like, you know, hello, how are you doing? Um, my name is Brad. You know, I'm a campus minister at UAH. And he was telling them about himself. And then he said the conversation all of a sudden got, got weird because when these girls started to talk, he couldn't understand a word they were saying. So, so that he said hello to them, and they said hello, and then blah, 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 blah. And Brad is just like, I don't, I don't know what they're saying. And he kept going on the conversation, trying to act like he knew what they were saying, like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But the accent that these women were speaking with were, was just one he had never heard, one he wasn't familiar with. And he was just kind of like, at, the, at some point, I just had to walk away and act like I knew what they were talking about, and it just made it awkward because I really didn't know anything that they said to me after hello. Um, and, he, and he came up to me, and he was like, you know, Roy, um, you're from that area. Can you talk like that? And, of course, I was like, yeah, I, I can. Um, it only kicks in when I'm in that area, but I can talk like that. And so he was just like, well, well, say something, you know, like in that, with that Cajun accent or whatever it is, whatever accent it is y'all use down there. And... I was just like, wow, you know, I'm put on a spot. Let's see. Um, and I thought of something that you guys may have heard recently, but I thought of the phrase, who that? Um, and, like, <laughs> yes. If you are not from New Orleans, I mean, even if you know what who that means now, um, it doesn't make sense at all. But it's a perfect description of just the way we talk. Now, who that translates into which team out there is going to beat the Saints. But what we say is, who that say they going to beat them Saints? And to me, that makes perfect sense. Like, who, who that say they going to beat them Saints? That makes perfect sense to me. It does. And I know for you guys, that's like, you wonder what's wrong with people in New Orleans. That's, that's it. I mean, we just, that's just, that's just the way we are. Um, and, it takes, a, it takes a bit of work to understand where we're coming from and what we're talking about. Um, you need an interpreter. Um, and I think that story is a good picture of the way Jesus told parables. Because oftentimes what Jesus would do is he would come talking about the kingdom of God, talking about the kingdom of heaven, talking about what he had come to do in ways that people were just not used to understanding or discerning or making sense of. And in a lot of those instances, what Jesus would do is he would tell these parables and he would just walk away. And you would be left with trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about. 
So if you think about this parable of the wheat, of the weeds that he's telling, that for a lot of people, they did not have the explanation of what that parable meant. And yet it was of great significance, of great importance to them spiritually, eternally, even physically. That it had impact on everything that they thought, that they said, that they had done in response to Jesus. And yet we read from this passage, the only people who gets the explanation are his disciples. Now, you and I are in a wonderful position because we have God's word and we have what Jesus said to his disciples. And he explains this parable to us and he explains to us that this is really what this parable is about. And in these verses, I think what Jesus is trying to show us is he's trying to show us about these three things, at least that he's trying to show us. What the reality of the life in the here and now for those who have trusted in Christ looks like. Meaning that he's trying to show us that in the life in the here and now, that there will be tension. That there will be struggle. That there will be things that do not make sense. That's the first thing. But secondly, he wants to remind us of the reality of the judgment to come. And then finally, he wants to show us of the reality of the life everlasting. All right, so the, life, the reality of the life in the here and now, the reality of the judgment to come, and then the reality of the life everlasting. First and foremost, the reality of the life in the here and now. This is what Jesus says, that he says in these verses that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And what you read is that when the plants come up and bear grain, that the weeds appear also. And you guys know this. I'm sure you're familiar with this a little bit about Jesus' earthly ministry. But oftentimes, if you can just kind of think about this, that when these people came to hear Jesus speak or they came to hear Jesus preach or teach or whatever it was, that oftentimes they saw Jesus do things like heal sick people, heal blind people, raise the dead to life, walk on water. They're seeing all these things and they are seeing that, wow, this is something that is truly different, that the kingdom of heaven really is upon us, that this man who calls himself the Messiah, he is doing great things. And I have to imagine that if Christ was among us in a physical, earthly sense, and you, you and I saw him do some of the things that he did, that one of the things that we would naturally do is go, whew, wow, I could take it easy. You know, Jesus just brought my dead relative back to life, so everything's okay. Jesus just healed me of this headache that I've had. Jesus just healed me of this illness that I've had my whole life. Jesus has made this man who is not able to walk, walk again. We can rest. We can rejoice. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And Jesus tells this parable to show not so fast. That there are seeds that produce wheat. And there are also weeds that grow 
among that. And what Jesus is trying to show us, I believe, is that you and I as believers, we live in a reality that is filled with tension. That on one hand, the kingdom of God has come, but yet at the same time, we see in so many ways that the enemy is working. That we see in so many ways that things are not as they should be. And if you don't believe that, go get involved in this neighborhood. If you don't believe that, Go love somebody who is totally different from you. Things are not as they should be. And Jesus is saying, this is the reality of the life in the here and now, that there is great tension. That yes, I have come, that yes, I've done marvelous things in your sight. But you must recognize that this world is still broken in a lot of ways, and this world is still hurting in a lot of ways, and it's because of the enemy. And his disciples, they see this, that they come to him, and they're just like, you know, you, you, want, us to, you want us to gather, you know, the weeds up? You want us to take out, you know, all of the evil influences? And Jesus is like, just wait. There will be a time for that. Just wait. But for you and I, at the very least, what Jesus is trying to teach us is that just because you have trusted by faith in Christ for salvation, it does not mean your life will be easy. Because that is a common misconception about the Christian faith. That once you believe in Jesus, you'll be okay. You have all the money you need. Your car won't break down. Your children will be well behaved. <laughs> and Jesus is warning us, no, it's not the case. The enemy is at work. That in the same way that God is using his people, in the same way that God is using the sons of the kingdom to restore this world, to redeem this world, that the same way Satan is working. And it's probably the case that some of you in this room that you hate holiday season because it means you have to be with family that you know that don't love Jesus. That you have to be with family members who will get wasted in your presence and say all types of things and expose your children to all types of things and you think, is it, is it even worth it? And what Jesus is saying is that is the reality of the life in the here and now. What's interesting about this passage also is that when Jesus talks about weeds, that the, that the Greek word that he uses um, is, a, is a word that in a lot of cases when this plant is, you know, is, when it's being, you know, when it's spread and when it's seeded and when it's placed on the ground, that for a time it actually looks like good seed. And so it's only until it matures, until it's full, until it's fullest sense, until a full flower or full plant that you get to see what it really is like. And what it may be that Jesus is saying is that 
that there will be people in your midst that for a time, they look very much like good seed. That for a time, they look like they're walking with God. That for a time, it looks genuine. And it's only until when it is mature that you really get to see what it is like. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. And this is not what Jesus wants you to do. It is not meant for you to go and look around at other people and say, I wonder if he's really a Christian. Or I wonder if she's really a Christian. But it's really meant for you to look at your own heart and say, do I believe this? Have I really trusted in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Or am I resting in something else? Jesus is saying, look at yourselves. Where are you in relation to me? And what he also is teaching us in telling this parable is the fact that he, he is not missing it. Like we think, God, oh, God, you don't see all this happening around us. And in Jesus telling this parable, he's communicating to us, I really, I really do know what it's like to be you. I really do know the frustration of living in a world that does not worship the creator. I really know the frustration of being in a place where there is great tension, where we see the kingdom of God at work all around us, and yet we see the kingdom of the evil one as well. And Jesus is saying to us, continue to trust me. I know what it's like, and I see it, and I will not miss it. And that's why he brings us to the fact that there is a judgment to come. That in this passage, the, the, the servants ask of the master, that they say, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. That when Jesus explains this parable, that he tells us that the harvest is the close of the end of the age. That there really is a judgment to come. That he really will punish sin. That he really will punish lawlessness. And what it's meant to show us is that God is not missing this. And it's incredible for us, I think, also as well, because in our culture, that we have a lot of people who like to think that God is love and only love, that he's kind of this pushover. Yeah, Jesus is not going to do me anything. Yeah. <laughs> and the Bible says he is love, but he is just as well. That he will punish sin. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not a pushover. I will judge sin. And that's important for us to hear. Not because we want people to perish, but 
that Jesus is saying that there's an end to the tension that we experience, that he will bring judgment. And that has application for us in a lot of ways, but I can think of at least these two. That first and foremost, that when Jesus talks about the judgment that is to come, that he's telling us that you and I, if we have trusted in Christ, we do not have to fear this judgment. That we can really rest and know that the good judge of the earth will do what is right. That he will bring justice. But secondly, if you are an unbeliever this morning, what Jesus is saying to you is that there is time that you can trust in Christ and be spared God's judgment. It's interesting that when you think about this passage and you think in light of what the servants want to do, which is, God, let's just deal with this right now. Let's just take care of this. Let's just grab everything. Let's just grab the weeds. And Jesus talks about waiting. Why in the world does God wait? Indeed, I know that's a question you ask. Why in the world has God not come back yet? What's taken him so long? Where is he? When will he come back? Indeed, it's a a question that believers have asked of all time. That you read the Psalms, how long, O Lord? That's what they're asking. How long will we endure this? And what's fascinating is that Jesus, in this passage, shows us that God spares coming back in judgment for our good and for his glory. Because if he comes back too early, guess what? Some of the wheat are taken. What that means is some of us undergo judgment who are supposed to be the people of God. And what Jesus is communicating is that I will not lose one of my people. I will not lose one of my sheep. I will not forsake them. I will not leave them. They will not experience God's judgment if they have trusted in me. What is interesting about that thought is in, is in 2 Peter 3, that this same type of thinking and idea was one that Peter was writing it to the church about. Um, that people in the church had begun to say, well, since Jesus is... I mean, I don't see him around. I don't think he's coming back. Um, he's not going to do anything. Don't worry about judgment. Don't speak about judgment because God is not going to come back to judge. And in 2 Peter 3, one of the things that Peter reminds them is that in the same way God promised that he would flood the world and bring judgment, that he is faithful to his word, that if he says he's going to bring judgment, he really will bring judgment. And in verses 8 and 9 of 2 Peter 3, This is what he says. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want y'all to hear that, like, because it's it's beautiful. That the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, it's some count slowness, 
but it's patient toward you, plural. You, God's people. You, church. So that he does not lose any of us. That that speaks to us uh, on an individual level that God is concerned with your holiness, that God is concerned with your walk, that God is concerned with the way that you honor him and revere him and walk with him and trust him. But at the same time, God loves his church. He loves his people. And he is delaying judgment so that all of his people might come in. So that he does not lose none of us, any of us. That's beautiful. Because if it was us, we would say, okay, just leave them. And let's just get, let's get out of here. You know, like, let's get this done. That's what, that's what the, the servants are communicating. Let's get this over with. And God is like, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to love these people to, it, to the end. And I will not lose any of them. All of them will reach repentance. All of them will turn to me. And so this is good news for believers as well as non-believers. Because what Jesus is saying to you and to me is that you can really trust him. That you are who he really came for. And he will not return until all of his people are brought in. There is grace for you. There is hope for you. There is life for you in Christ. And that brings me to the last point, point, that Jesus tells us of the reality of the life to come. And you read this in verses 40 and following. That just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. And the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears, let him hear. And we've already talking about, talked about how God will bring judgment. But one of the things that you see in the reality of the life everlasting is that this, these verses tell us that God will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And what's crucial about these verses, I think, is that as believers, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we know that the Bible talks about us being sinners. We know that the Bible shows us up again and again and again for the ways that we fail to keep God's law. And so when this verse speaks about God gathering out his kingdom, all causes of sin, what that means is God will give us a new heart. That theologians, when they talk about the reality of the Christian life, that they, they talk about, they use this phrase, uh, the already and not yet. And what they mean by that is that as the kingdom of God has come and the God spirit is at work in our lives, that we get a glimpse, we get a foretaste of what fellowship with Christ is like in this life. But the not yet speaks to the fact that there still is more that awaits us. And what that means is that God will do away with these hearts that are prone to sin. 
that first John tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And this verse is saying God will deal with that as well. That God will give us hearts that long to know him, hearts that long to worship him, hearts that long to serve him. Because it is the only way we will shine like the sun in this kingdom. That if God does away with all that is wrong with us and all that is wrong with the world, and God promises that that is what life, the life everlasting is. That the reality of the life everlasting is that there would be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, for the former things have passed away, John tells us in Revelation. And for us, that is good news. Because all the bitterness we experience in this life, all the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrows that we experience, God is promising, that won't be in his kingdom. That when the kingdom is coming in its fullest sense, it will be no more. That there will be no more lawbreakers. That we will love God. That we will love his law fully, wholly. That we will be unable to sin. So that when you think about the hymn we sang, it is well with my soul. That one of the stanzas, that hymn, is that my sin, oh my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. That the, the hymn writer says that's a glorious thought. That it's glorious to know that God is going to do away with all that is wrong with my heart and all that is wrong with your heart and all, all that is wrong with his people's hearts. And he will make those things right. And it's only then and after that that we're able to shine like the sun. Because if there's still sin in us in heaven, then we have no place being there. And God is saying, this is what you have to look forward to. That when it talks about the righteous shining like the sun in the kingdom of their father, it kind of speaks to the language of the glory that Jesus showed as he was transfigured before his disciples. That in Matthew 17, that Peter, James, and John get this glimpse, get this look of what Jesus really is like in his glory. And Peter talks about that in his letters, how it changed him, how he beheld the glory of God, and it changed him. That in the same way that God is saying that for us, As believers, the people of God, God will change us as well. God will make us whole. God will make us righteous, just as he is. And we will reflect the image of our creator. Paul, in picking up on this language, he writes that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, he's talking about Adam, so shall we bear the image of the man of heaven. And 
it's a beautiful picture because what it is saying is that you and I, we will finally look like Christ. And we will finally reflect him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his honor. And we will shine like the sun. And Jesus calls us by faith to trust in him. To trust that he sees all that is going on. That he will bring judgment. And not only that, he will glorify us and make us like him perfectly and completely. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this word um, and um, the many ways it speaks to um, the, the things that trouble us and concern us and cause us to have doubt. Uh, we confess to you, Lord, um, that we miss the point of your slowness of coming, that we miss Uh, The fact that you are gracious to us, that you are patient with us. uh, That in our day-to-day lives, uh, you love us the same, regardless of whether we're doing good or evil. You love us because you see us in Christ. Our sins are paid for. We are righteous because of Jesus nothing else. Um, and we thank you, Lord, um, for, for bringing us to yourself. We don't deserve it. Uh, we don't deserve your mercy. And we ask God for eyes and hearts and minds that see the gospel, for ears that hear the gospel, hearts that believe the gospel. And not only all those things, but live out the gospel. And we pray, God, that through our witness, uh, that people would be drawn to you, Jesus, and not us. That it would cause them to inquire about what is it that gives us hope? What is it that gives us joy? to which we can point them to our Savior. Lord, we thank you for bringing a people to yourself from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue, from the north, from the south, from the east and west, so that we all will one day in heaven reflect Jesus and praise him for all eternity. Please continue to be with us, and please continue to draw us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can stand with us. Come on, put your hands together.